No. There we go. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm not nervous at all, which is good. Actually, one of my lifelong goals was to cry in front of 150 people, so this is perfect. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Uh, <clears throat> I'm actually really excited. Sorry. Just got to get set up here. I'm uh, really excited. Donovan uh, approached me two or three months ago to, uh, yeah, to, to start uh, walking this out and start preaching. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty terrified. And I was like, you know, I just have to commit to it. So uh, here we are. So I've had like two or three months to prep. Um, probably won't ever happen again. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. But, uh, but yeah, maybe a couple hours into or after I, I kind of committed, um, the Lord showed me exactly what he wanted me to preach on, which is his return. And uh, I'm not joking about crying, because I am one of those emotional ones. We have a couple of those in the church. Um, I'm not looking... Oh, hi, Daryl! I think it would be four for four, though. If I, cr- I think that's pretty much all of us. So, eh, go with the flow. Yeah, no pressure. But, um, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Amen? Uh, Yeah, he is coming back, and um, he is bringing us upon this journey of refining us and and purifying us. And uh, we are his church, and we are also his bride. And um, so his return means something for us because he's moving us in a certain direction for his return. So I'm going to be preaching about that. Um, it's going to give you a little rundown of, of uh, what I have planned, so you're not uh, caught off guard. Um, but there is much work to be done. Uh, the world itself is moving to that point, and our lives are moving to that point of his return. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, One, I think one of the harder parts of his return is, is the preparation that he's doing in us. And, and it comes with suffering. It comes with the sorrow. It, it, uh, it's not necessarily easy um, to be called a bride or to be called uh, spotless. Because it implies that we are being purified. And so the, um, the dealing with sin is painful with our own sin, with uh, things that we're struggling with, and just the flesh, dealing with the flesh is painful. And dealing with one another can also be painful, unfortunately. And so there's three different types of suffering and and sorrow that I'm going to try and cover today. Uh, The first one is the rebuke or the chastisement when dealing with sin. Uh, Chastisement is the discipline, uh, the Lord's dealing with our sin. The second is the suffering and sorrow when preparing us for our calling. And the third is the posture of a long-suffering we are to have with each other. As we walk this journey together, we are to be long-suffering with each other. And, and um, I'll get into that a little bit. So, um, yeah, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So, Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you are the king um, overall, and that you are the king of our lives, and that you are moving us in a direction, and you are purifying us as your bride, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that uh, your word gets out in clarity, and that, um, yeah, you, uh, you nurture this, Father. I thank you for, uh, for this church and for what you are doing. In Jesus' name. Okay, dealing with sin. 
Um, this is not easy. Uh, sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint. I know you guys are used to PowerPoints. I'm not really a PowerPoint guy yet. Maybe I'll get there. It's actually probably just more distracting for me to figure out technology as I'm up here. But um, So I don't have a PowerPoint. I'll try and be as clear and concise as I can. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. First one, dealing with sin. Uh, yeah, this is definitely not fun. It's actually extremely painful, but uh, he is gentle and he is consistent. He is effective. Um, he is extremely efficient when dealing with it. Um, the cross represents the forgiveness of sin. It's the redemption and, and the beginning of renewal from within. Um, and, and Jesus accomplishes much on the cross. And as Christians, uh, you see it all over. This is, our, this is our symbol of hope, that he has made a way for us to draw near to him. And again, drawing near to him implies that we need to be ready and, and, and becoming pure so that we can actually stand in his presence. So in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, if you guys want to turn there, um, if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a second. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Let us lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, that's us as the church, those who is redeeming, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured the, from sinners such hostility, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So Jesus himself endured much. He endured the hostility of sinners against himself, where he was absolutely unjust. He, he took upon that shame and, and the ridicule and the, hey, isn't this... Joseph's son, isn't this just some ragtag carpenter? You know, he had to endure the sins of men throughout his life. But Jesus' endurance to withstand the hostility, to endure to the end, the cross, enables us to be freed from our sins. But it's not automatic. We do not, uh, do we ever have to confess? Do we have to confess if Jesus has taken the sin upon the cross and, and, and has dealt with it and has made a way? Do we have to bring it to him? Do we have to repent? And um, the answer is yes. Absolutely we do. We have the spirit of him working in us. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now living in us. It's the spirit that redeems and, and, and raises Christ. It's of redemption. It's of purifying and now it's dwelling in us it has to convict it will convict because that is the nature of who he is he's restoring what is um, sorry he's rest restoring us to that um, to the fullness of our creation the cross engaged the new covenant which we are currently walking in and so we are in, in this season now in, in history where we're living after the cross and, and the Lord has engaged this new covenant and, and we're able to, uh, we don't have to go through the laws and, and all the sacrifices, but we still are able to, re to repent and come and turn to him. He, he makes a way for that 
but we still have to engage it. He, he gives us the opportunity, but we still need to take advantage of it. It's not, it's not automatic, even though he is the one that stirs that conviction in our lives. First John 1, 8-10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Wow. Okay. Uh, so we have sin, or else we are deceived. The, if we confess our sins, though, if we confess our sins, it's contingent upon us confessing our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the promise is there. The promise is at hand that when we come to him, it's, a, it's, total, it's going to work when we come to him. It's not, never going to fail if we come to him, repent, be cleansed, or, or come for uh, re- repentance. And he's like, ah, sorry, I don't really have a way to, to deal with this right now. No, it's going to work. And that is automatic. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there is a surety of the cross and there is an effectiveness of it. But it still needs to be activated. And every time we confess and turn from wickedness, our forgiveness is at hand. So jumping back to Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 6. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved from him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So it goes hand in hand with this sonship and, and, and being a daughter of, of Christ is, or being a daughter of God is that you, you go through discipline, you go through chastising. And that's all just part of that purification process. But the Lord is not malicious in condemning us. He, is, he graciously convicts us. And there's a big difference. And it's okay not to be perfect. And it's dangerous to think that you are. Jesus will receive a pure and spotless bride, his conviction of sin, and our appropriate response of, okay God, have your way, search me and know me. If there is any wicked way in me, will aid in that purifying process. So having our hearts willing and open and, and confessing, Lord, I'm not perfect. You can deal with me as you and trusting him that he can, he's going to be efficient in what he's doing. Not painless, but efficient. And then continuing in Hebrews 12, verse 7. There is a promise if we endure. If you endure chastising, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastising of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not my sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? How much more important is the correction and conviction of the Holy Father? And we are used to being disciplined. For if they indeed for a few days chastised us as seemed best, but he who our prophet, but he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yeah, that's incredibly true. That is, that's it. It's painful. It sucks. I'm sure we've all had moments in our lives where that weight of conviction is so strong and sobering. And I faced it many times, and I'm, I'm not boasting in it, but I am his son, and that comes with the territory. And I have many flaws to work out. But it's an interesting, when you, when you receive this conviction from the Spirit, it comes with a, a mix of emotions. There's, um, there's sorrow, of course, and sorrow, and you, you feel bad for what you're doing, but there's also hope, because the sorrow implies that someone is showing you that there's a different way. You grow in fear of the Lord, and also in love of Him, because He has not forsaken you. That is true conviction. One that reveals our sins and proves His mercy, restores our souls, and propels us to not do it again. Condemnation does not leave such emotions. I'm sure we can all, we all know the difference between the condemnation, feeling the weight of condemnation and feeling the weight of conviction. It's, it's extremely different. Condemnation leaves you stuck and there's, there's no hope. But this is the purpose and this is the best part. Nevertheless, after we endure, after we endure, after we let him examine us and, and allow him to convict us and, and feel the weight and the pain and it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So he made a way. Hallelujah. We are not stuck and we are to seize it. We are to take advantage of what he has done and not give it's not an excuse to ignore him to ignore grace it, it gives us the power to run to him and actually deal with our stuff because he can do it he, he has the ability to we are to endure he forgives we receive the peaceful fruit of righteousness what a god we serve so that's all i have to say about sin <laughs> Don's like, stop, stop. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry, Don. It's just starting. Then the other way the Lord brings about suffering is not based on sin, but obedience. Awesome. Yeah, this is getting better. But, yeah, I mean, the Christian life, it's a lot of, there's a lot of suffering, and that's okay, because we're not living for now. All the suffering has ability to refine us. It has the ability to refine us. doesn't mean it always will. It, it depends on how we react to it. We can run from it. And, and he, he, he'll draw you back. So allow it to refine you. Because it, it will do that. He is calling us to great things. And the refining of our character is vital for, the ministries, for our ministries to flourish. You often hear of ministries exploding. And, and it looks like... It's just nothing could stop it. And then all of a sudden, pastor has an affair, this falls apart, or someone's... Well, there's character that needs to come with ministry. And, and, and to all of us that have a calling, and, and, and for this church as it has a calling, character is, is incredibly important. But the suffering. One is refining from sin, and the other is refining for our calling. And there's a big difference between the two. Because in different seasons of life, you can question, is this because of sin? Am I doing this? 
Well, sometimes it is. But other times it's not because of sin. It's because you said yes. Because there's, uh, you're answering the call and, and you're, you're signing up for this life of laying it down and, and, and answering what he is wanting to do with you. And, and with that comes refining. And, and some suffering comes with it. And that's, that's okay. You cannot shy away from it. So let's just take a look at Jesus and how this played out in his life. So he, he embarks on his formal ministry um, around the age of 30. Uh, he was baptized by John. He came out of the water and, uh, you know, the heavens open and the dove comes and rests on his shoulder representing the Holy Spirit. And the Father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What, he had, what had he done? He got baptized, but he was the son of God, and that was the foundation of his ministry, was, the, was that identity. But that also signed him up for a life of consecration, of suffering, of, of answering that call, which ultimately was the cross, and bearing the burden of that. But it began as being edified as a son, and that was the core of who he was. So he's edified, the spirit is upon him, represented as a dove, and uh, then he was led into the desert right after that. And so I don't know if the dove just took off and is like, I'm out of here, and he's chasing, he starts chasing it, and for 40 days he's fasting. No. He was led by the spirit to the desert, fasting, praying, and being tested by Satan. That's pretty intense. Some of us have endured fasting over the last, well, over our last lives, but especially in this time of prayer and fasting month. Um, I tried fasting yesterday. I failed when I smelt the lasagna brewing from the stove. Like, well, okay, well, I guess there's always tomorrow. It, it's, it's difficult. But <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I want to, but it's, it's, not, uh, it's not easy. Anyways, 40 days, he, he was tempted, he, he fasted, he, he, was, he was withered down to nothing, and Satan comes to him and tempts him in his weakest moment. But isn't that so fitting that the weakest moment, his, his weakest moment is when Satan tempts him, and that's when he's the strongest. He was becoming consecrated, consecrated to something, to make something sacred. He was, he was being dedicated formally to a divine purpose. The ministry begins with consecration or, or being sanctified and being set apart. You know, what was the Spirit accomplishing in that time in the desert for 40 days? And why did it take 40 days? I mean, he's, he's Jesus. He was sinless. It wasn't sin that led him into the desert. It was refining of his character. It seems cruel. It seems unlike a, a loving father. But the Spirit was weakening the flesh. The part of him that is tempted the part of him that would have the ability to fall into sin. He was weakening it. He was saying no to the flesh for 40 days. He was, he was setting the precedence for the rest of his ministry. He was creating space between him and the world. He, he, be, he learned solitude. He, he removed himself from the busyness of the world and, and spent time with the Father, spent time with the Spirit, and just 
began, or I'm not saying beginning the, the journey of intimacy, but making it more real, beginning his ministry with that type of intimacy with the Father. But he knew that if he didn't maintain the ministry of the Father, with the Father, maintain the intimacy of the Father, that he would not be able to carry out his calling. Because throughout Jesus' whole ministry, I only do what I see the Father doing. I see the Father do something, I go and do it. I hear the Father say something, I'm going to say it. It was his hand in hand, always being led by the Spirit to do what the Father willed him to do. And there was, I, I'm sure there was a real struggle in his, uh, there was, a, there was a, his own will. There was his own idea of how it should be done. Or, and I'm sure sometimes he questioned it. And then that's, he was, he was human, and that's okay. But he ultimately was obedient. And the Spirit is calling us to do the same. But this, run, this process runs amok with the flesh. It's not used to saying no, being said no to. It's, it's, it's not used to being without. Whatever it sees it wants and, and whatever it craves for, it, it, it desires and is usually fulfilled. It's, it's not used to being like, you know what? No food or no entertainment. Whatever it is. It's not used to it. Getting up early isn't easy. Fasting is hard. But in implementing the, dis- the disciplines of the Christian walk are designed to draw us into complete dependence on the Father. Because that's where we end. We can't do it on our own. Consecration of the Spirit brings a level of suffering that we are to embrace. But it's not easy. But this process for Jesus did not begin in the desert, I'm sure. This process of knowing and and. and, and I won't go there. The Sorrowful Carpenter is my next paragraph. And I can thank my brother-in-law for this one. A little shout out. <laughs> I wonder at what point Jesus became aware that the work of his Heavenly Father was preparing him for the work of his Heavenly Father. See, the cross was on the heart of the Father. That is how Jesus, that is, that is how he was going to accomplish it. Well, let's teach him how to build one. But I wonder when he realized it. I, I'm sure it was at a young age, watching his father work in the shop. And, you know, was it the first time he heard that hammer strike the head of the nail? Maybe it was the first time uh, he, he received a splinter. Or he, was, he was cut by what he was doing. He, he felt pain. He developed calluses. He was laboring. He watched his dad endure. Maybe it was as long as it took f- until he was commissioned to build a cross for someone. But whenever that moment struck, I imagine him seeking solitude with the Father and grieving. And as the realization came, I'm sure a righteous sorrow followed. For until the day he began his ministry, I suppose not a day goes by that he doesn't think of that moment. As time matures, so does his understanding of the need of the cross, the importance, and a newfound sorrow develops for the lost. All while he's not in ministry, all while he's just laboring, providing for his family, there's this constant 
bring this constant current and realization and, and learning and understanding what he's being prepared for. For creation, which he was chief architect, needs him in a new way. They need a savior from brokenness to wholeness to set in motion the purification of his bride to one day whom he will be wet. But until that day, pursue and purify. Now this may seem cruel again. Or unfair. But it's not cruel. This is the work of a loving father. It would be cruel to keep him naive. It would be cruel to keep him so protected from sorrow or any type of character development that no grit was created or, or, or character was, was produced. I'm sure the, the father endured suffering and sorrow in it also, watching his son go through what he had to go through. Yes, joy was to be had, but the painful process couldn't have been easy. So the season of my life right now that I'm in is, is, is calculated perfectly to break me. It's funny. It's so funny. No, it's good. It's great. And, and it's designed for me. And it's designed for my character flaws. And it's, it, it's, it, the best way I can ex- explain it is, is I, I feel like I'm walking underwater. I can still breathe, but there's like pressure on every side, and, and I try and walk forward, and it's just it's just a grind. I'm like, well, why? Why is this so strenuous? Why is this so intense? And often I would just sit, and I'd be like, Father, am I being punished right now? Like, there's something's happening, and and I've never really experienced this before. This this must be punishment. It's probably because of sin. And what what do I have to repent of? So I prayed and. I asked them, Lord, why? Why? And do you know what his response was? I'm making up for lost time. That's fun. And uh, I knew exactly what that meant. It immediately brought a feeling of remorse, of wasted years. And humility that he saw me through all that. He was watching me. He had his finger on me. But also, just like conviction, there's this thankfulness and joy that sets in. Then he continued, I raised you in a Christian home. I drew your mom and dad out of the world and placed them on a firm foundation. I gave your parents the wisdom to send you to a Christian school. I sent you mentors along the way, yet you ran. You ran for me. Sorry. And now that you have answered the call, there's no more time to waste. And do you know what that's called? Grace. That is grace. Because he had not abandoned me. When he had every right to let me go and cast me aside, his long-suffering and jealous pursuit maintained 
its crosshairs on my life. That's grace. Not that that's grace. So keep praying for those prodigal sons and daughters. Keep interceding. Don't lose heart. God is faithful and he will accomplish what he set out to do. And uh, yeah. God will not call us to anything that we cannot handle. He will not lead us into a season or situation that he is not able to walk, out, to walk us out of. He is he's, he's the father. He's in control. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. But sometimes he turns up the heat. You know, I think of the story of the disciples in the storm. And, uh, you know, Matt, Matt was praying and, and, and leading us through that time of just the Lord quieting the storm. And uh, in, in the midst of all the chaos, you know, we have that, that anchor and, and that resolve to, to rest and trust in him. And that is true. But sometimes... He doesn't want to calm the storm. He wants us to cling to him. He wants to see us through the storm to the other side. You know, when the, when the disciples were, were fear-struck and, and, and complaining to him, what did, he, he reprimanded them. Not for them to necessarily call out to the storm and say, be quiet, but for them to know Jesus is here. Jesus loves us. He's able and he wouldn't bring us to a situation that would destroy us. He's going to hold us onto the edge. He's going to do the work that he needs to do. He's going to refine us, and we're going to stand through the storm. And sometimes, yes, the Lord quiets storms, but sometimes he likes to keep us in the midst of them. Or when Jesus walks on the water. It didn't happen on a nice, sunny, perfect day. It was in a storm, and he's walking on the water. And, and it's just such a perfect picture of, of his resolve and his ability to be totally calm and, and still hear the voice of the Lord as he's taking each step and not sink and not be worried and not let his flesh get at him, but just stay and cruise through and invite. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So let us not always seek calm waters. Because real joy and real strength come in the midst of them. Because joy is the strength of the Lord, right? That's joy. We don't see joy as like that. We see joy as stand-up comedians. It's not joy. Sorry. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And walk right into the fire. To live in a world that wars against us, but stay faithful to him, to stay true to him. To maintain my consecration to him, no matter what. To endure and allow different seasons of life to refine me to a point. So if and when I am thrown into a fire, there's nothing to burn. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were drawn out into slavery. Babylon, the Lord sent them out, or... The Lord allowed the king of Babylon to come and take Judah, take, cap, take captives of Judah. And, and these three men were, were, were part of them. And they, they grew up with a consecrated life. They, they, they knew the laws of the Lord. They knew, they knew what the Lord had called them to. And in a foreign land with a foreign king and, a, and, and wayward lifestyles, they stuck true to their conviction. And in the face of being thrown into the fire, 
they were willing to go. And it's awesome that the Lord protected them in that. But, which I believe happened. But I just wonder, you know, you go one layer deeper and just wonder if there's anything in their hearts to actually burn away. Living this life of, of faithfulness and, and allowing life to do its work. And when you're faced with it, it's like, it's pure. There's a purity of it. Where you set fire to it and there's, there's, there's no imperfections to burn. Maybe that is why they were sustained in the fire. They allowed life, they allowed the consecration that the Lord had set upon them to do and to complete that work. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and see the fourth man in the fire to know that Jesus himself is not exempt from the heat of life to take comfort and hope in his resilience to know that no matter how high the heat is turned up he is with us I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and walk right out of the fire with no burn upon my skin or on my clothes. The pure in heart will see God. Purity does not mean perfection, though, or sinlessness. Purity is the stature of our heart towards God. Does he reign on that throne in your heart? And are there any other gods before him? Because if they are, they will burn. And he uses suffering to rid, rid us of those. Anything that doesn't resemble him, they're going to be burnt away. And it's better to embrace the fire now while it is still one of refining than to wait and meet the fire that is all-consuming. That wouldn't be a good day. The suffering of the heat is preparing us to stand in the purity and the presence of the all-consuming fire and instead of being consumed, our hearts reflect the completed work that he has done. Just let it burn away. Let the dross burn away. Open your hands and let it go. Open your hearts and trust him. He knows what he's doing. Okay, the last part of suffering is the long-suffering saint. The Lord is gracious with us. Let us be gracious with each other. The Lord forgives us. Let us forgive the sins of others. Our graciousness upon each other aids in this purifying process. We can't, we can't do this alone. We need to be real. We need to be genuine. We need to al allow these character flaws to come out. And, and uh, you know, this fall, uh, I had... A few, probably five close friends that allowed me to fail. Not, but they allowed just imperfections to come out. They allowed bad character to expose itself so it can be dealt with. And they didn't deal with it with a condemning way or how could you do this? Didn't you know better? It was, it's okay. You know what? God's gonna, God can refine this. And for Two months, I couldn't shake it. I, 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 and, and that's the beauty of it, is when you live, when you just allow yourself to live, and when he convicts it, it, it rests in a place where you don't really want it to go. You don't want it to leave, because 
doing what it needs to do. But I had um, some very pivotal people in my life through that time, and I'm very thankful for them. But the, the purification process uh, that he has us on is not just one of an uh, individual level. It is a corporate thing that we are beholding. It is the church that is spotless. And that is something that we can, we can glory in one day. You know, we are responsible for our own lives and our own conduct, but the glory is shared among those who walk along the way. If we are the hands and feet of Christ, we are to resemble, or we are to be responsible to carry out his work. And much of his work, almost all of his work, is laced with long-suffering. The patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control. And these are all needed to help others walk in their calling. My wedding day. Now I'm going to cry. I've been married for about eight years now. Sarah's cringing. Uh, I've been married for about eight years now, and I, I married a woman that was way too good for me. Trust me. Amen. Brother-in-law. He knows it. You know, and, and watching her walk down the aisle in this perfect white dress, I'm thinking... I am woefully unqualified for this woman. Who am I to be standing there? I totally married up. Anyone else? Armand? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. When I met Sarah, I was a, I was a total wreck. Just, uh, I, was, I was trying, trying to live for the Lord and just couldn't shake it. And I needed someone. I, I needed help. I needed someone to walk with me in a tangible and real way. One that I could open up to and, and, um, and just let, let my crap out. And she was very gracious with that. And she, she prepared me for that moment. She was extremely long-suffering with me and faithful to God. She kept asking God, when? When can I just walk away from this guy? And the Lord just kept giving her the strength she needed. And this is, this is my story. This is part of my testimony. But if I am to believe that this is unique or rare then I undermine the work that Jesus is doing every one of us. Is he is preparing you for him. He is pursuing you. Not just pursuing, but purifying. He's committed to us. And let us not take that for granted. Let this be an opportunity to lay aside every weight that gets in the way. We all share this experience. We may, we may not have all spouses that have walked the same journey, but man, he, he 
is that jealous pursuit. I, you think of the story in Hosea where a godly man is, is called to marry a prostitute. Oh, come on. She just continues to run, run away and, and, and continue to chase down her old habits and he sticks with her. And Donovan preached a, a great series on that. But it's just, man, Jesus is jealous over us. So, yeah, the long-suffering heart of a friend, my girlfriend, my fiancé, my wife. The long-suffering of my friend, my king. My savior. Matt, if you want to come up, I'll wrap up here. So we have some rewards. But uh, there's many rewards you can read of in the Bible for enduring, for, for allowing this purifying to happen. But all that we suffer and all the pain and the ridicule will be worth it when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you. I thank you. We are so in debt. You deserve it all. You purchased it all. You know that we came with all these issues and sin, and you're okay with that. You're committed to purifying us. You're committed to hold us fast in suffering, to allow that to work the purification process so that one day we can meet you and hear those words so I thank you Jesus for your long suffering towards us and I pray Jesus that we would learn how to be long suffering towards each other how to learn how to cling on to you in each season of life to not blame you for the things and the suffering that we're going to but run to you for comfort. Just thank you, Jesus.